is Polyphonic Press, the podcast where two music fans pick a classic album completely at random. Using the patented random album generator, they are given an album to review from a curated list of over 1,000 classic releases, spanning multiple genres. And now onto the show. Here are your hosts, Jeremy Boyd and John Van Dyke. Hey, welcome to Polyphonic Press. I'm Jeremy Boyd. I'm John Van Dyke. And uh, let's not waste any time. We've got the patented random album generator right in front of us here. So uh, let's hit the button and see what album we're going to be listening to this week. And the album we're going to be listening to is George Harrison, All Things Must Pass. I'm not that familiar with the whole album. I know some of the songs on, on, on it. I know quite quite a few of the songs off of it. It's a big album. I know that. Yeah. Okay. So this is what it says on allmusic.com. Uh, without a doubt, George Harrison's first solo recording, originally issued as a triple album, is his best, drawing on his backlog, backlog of unused compositions from the late Beatles era. Harrison crafted material that managed the rare feat of conveying spiritual mysticism without sacrificing sacrificing his gifts for melody and grand sweeping arrangements. Enhanced by Phil Spector's lush orchestral production and Harrison's own superb slide guitar nearly every song is excellent awaiting on you all beware of darkness the, the dylan collaboration i'd have you anytime isn't it a pity and the hit singles my sweet lord and what it's life are just a few of the highlights a very moving work with a slight flaw the jams that comprise the final third of the album are somewhat dispensable and have probably only been played once or twice by most of the listeners who own this record those same jams, however, played by Eric Clapton, Carl Radel, Bobby Whitlock, and Jim Gordon, all of whom had just come off of touring as part of Delaney and Bonnie's band, proved to be uh, of immense musical importance, precipitating the formation of Derek and the Dominoes. Thus, they weren't a total dead end and may actually be much more to the liking of the latter band's fans. Okay, so... So I think since this is a double album, I think what we'll maybe do is we'll listen to, do you want to do one disc and then one disc since it's like half and half? Or do you or do we do, want to actually separate it into like four different breaks? Four different breaks. We could do that. Yeah, I think we could probably do it in four different breaks. I mean, it won't take that long. Okay, so we're going to start with uh, side one. And it starts off with the song I'd Have You Anytime and ends with uh, Isn't It a Pity version one. Uh, okay, so here we go. Here's uh, the first song called I'd Have You Anytime. Okay, ending side one with Isn't It a Pity. Yeah, really, uh, I, I'm actually familiar with all the songs we've heard so far. I, I don't know, I don't even know where to begin with this. I mean, George Harrison was such a, a, a gifted songwriter, and this is, you know, this, like, all of, a lot of these songs were written 
like from 1966 onward, right? Because that's when he really started to come into his own as as a writer. So he and he was really only given at most two songs per album. Uh, on the White Album, he got four, but that's because it was a double album. But uh, so he ha- had been stockpiling these songs for like four or five years. And so by the time the Beatles ended and now he's doing his solo album, he's got all these songs that he can record. And this apparently this was only a, um, a, a little bit of what he had. It's interesting. In the Beatles, George Harrison is known for his melodic slide playing. And in the Beatles, he didn't really play that way. He he never really picked up the slide until well until this album yeah it's 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 cool like uh i mean there was elements of of uh, his style sort of appearing in the beatles but uh it definitely managed to flourish when he went on uh, onto his own um it was uh there were so many other aspects of it that uh i guess it's partly because he was doing a lot of things on his own that he could I mean, he had people like Eric Clapton and, and whatnot playing on his album because if you got a guy like him around, you're going to use him. <laughs> um, but, you know, other than that, he was largely doing a lot of these things on his own. He didn't have, you know, Paul McCartney and, and, and John Lennon to play other guitar parts. Yeah, because I was just noticing on that last song, Isn't It a Pity, at the end, I think Mike Campbell explained this. It's like a lot of people, when they first want to play slide guitar, they want to play blues on it, which is great. And uh, it sounds awesome. And that's, it's a lot of fun to play, but it's, it's like George said, okay, yeah, that's cool. But let me see if I can play slide in a major scale and see what that sounds like. And all of a sudden he developed this, I I don't, I'm not going to say he was the first person to ever do that, but it's like, you know, it's, that became his like signature sound, you know, that signature George, you know, guitar sound that really only exists in his solo, uh, solo career. Yeah. So that sort of, distinguished him not only as an artist but as a guitar player like a guitarist like this is his sound and i feel like he maybe he was really um like restricted in the beatles in not i mean i can only imagine the 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 pressure of being in that band you know especially when they were touring and just but so like when they when when the Beatles ended, it's sort of like now he has all this freedom to explore guitar playing and experiment with all these different things that he can do. Yeah, I think that's that's spot on. I think that's uh, pretty much exactly what happened. Yeah, and, and I think it is partly because with uh, two other guitar players, and Paul McCartney was another guitar player. A lot of people don't realize that he was not only a bass player. In fact, sometimes John Lennon would play the bass in the studio. When you've got like three fairly talented guitar players in one band it's kind of it's a little it's a little hard to actually develop your own sound because when sometimes just being in the presence of these other guys it's it's a little hard to distinguish who's playing what and actually when you listen to the Beatles and you're just listening 
I mean, it takes a real ear to figure out who's playing what. Um, and you can sort of like, well, this is a George Harrison song, so it's probably George Harrison playing and the, you know, John Lennon, Paul McCartney stuff. And most people assumed it was John Lennon playing. Not necessarily the case. Um, they traded off instruments a lot. In fact, I think it was like, what was it? It's either their, uh, their J100s or their, um, casino i can't remember which one it was but there's speculation that they got switched at some point and they don't know whose is actually like originally whose <laughs> they know whose it is like became became now like the you know john lennon with his psychedelic paint on the j100 and the and completely sanded off the finish of the of the casino and whatnot they that's now accepted as his but when they were originally given to the band they were thinking it might have been swapped at some point. So, because again, they traded instruments all the time. They're just passing around and, and, and doing stuff in the studio constantly. It's easy to do. It's just like, well, I came here with a casino. Yeah. Well. So did I. Is that one yours? <laughs> I don't know. Is it yours? I don't know. I'll take one. You take one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this album is is interesting. I, I know the song Wawa was written during the the Let It Be or the Get Back sessions after George George had quit the band. Yeah. After a big fight in uh Wawa they were using slang as a headache and this song was directed at Paul McCartney saying after a fight saying yeah you're giving me a Wawa you're giving me a, I've had enough of this headache I'm I'm leaving. So it's a, it is a probably the angriest uh, George Harrison song, or one of them anyway. Yeah, because George Harrison was not known for being you know writing angry songs. That's like the angriest one. But uh, no, it, it's it's still it's uh, it does send the message. I've always liked that song. I thought it was a pretty cool song. It is a very cool song. Yeah, yeah, and um, my sweet lord. Uh, I mean, obviously. That's one of his, he was actually sued over that song because it sounded like He's So Fine. He's So Fine by the, the Chiffons, I think. The Chiffons, yeah, I think so. Which was an old, you know, hit from the 60s, which, yeah, it does, but not really. It It is very similar. It's one of those things where I think it wasn't maybe like in the back of his mind when he was writing it, but it wasn't consciously there. It went actually to trial, and it was ruled that yes, the the melody was lifted from that song. And while, like at the end, when the judge was uh, making his deci- final decision and and you know saying his final things, he just said, uh, "For the record, George, I do like your song better." And his his response was, "But you just told me it was the same song." Uh, let's move on to uh, side two, and it starts with what is life. And it, if you're listening along, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, I wanted to get this. Uh, so this was released on uh, November 27th, 1970 on Apple Records and produced by George Harrison and Phil Spector. Uh, okay, so I forgot to mention that at the beginning. So, yeah, so if you're listening along, so we're going to... We're doing it by the album proper, the as it was released in 1970. 
So side two begins with what is life and ends with run of the mill. So uh, here we go. Here is what is life. Okay, ending side two with run of the mill there. I don't know what else to say, really. I mean, this is just uh, amazing. It's really well produced. I mean, as crazy as Phil Spector is, he's, he really made some some really great productions. He knew how to produce an album, for sure. I wouldn't want him anywhere near mine. <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I could tolerate him. No, I don't think I could either. And it's pretty telling that George Harrison only made one album with him, I think. Yeah, John Lennon did too, and... Uh, oh, you know. John Lennon made a few albums with him. Oh, no, no. Uh, George worked with him on the follow-up to this, which was Living okay. in the Material World. But that's it. Well, maybe he could be a little stable at times, but I know, uh, I guess it was towards the mid-70s he was starting to lose it a bit. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. I, I honestly don't know that much about Phil Spector, but I, I do know a few stories. I do know that he... He pulled a gun on John Lennon in the studio, or he at least pulled out a gun and shot it near his ear and almost making him deaf. And the other story that I know about him is the the Ramones worked with him when they were doing the soundtrack to their movie Rock and Roll High School, and he made them play the first chord to Rock and Roll High School for eight hours straight because he felt that it should be perfect. Just, you know, nope, like take after take after take after take of God knows how much tape they wasted on that. But so, yeah, he's, I hope he covered the bill for that one. Really? But yeah, so he's not always the most stable person in the world. But yeah, he, he when he it, when he wants to, he can make some really, really great music i was just like thinking what is life that song it's like it 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 really is just it's a rock and roll song you know with a good guitar riff but then like you almost don't notice the strings but they're just like there to support but if you took them away you would feel like oh something's missing yeah i always kind of like the the horn section and the and the strings in that song it uh it's not too much. It it sort of adds it. It it sort of gives it uh, a lift that the song calls for. Yeah. So he knows what he's doing when he wants to. He's definitely talented. And was the uh, there was on that side there was a few songs that I re- I really liked. Uh, Let it down. That was a really cool song. It starts started off with this really cool. Like the intro was really cool, but then it settled into this interesting sort of slower thing. It, yeah, I'm going to have to listen to that again, but I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I could I could hear Bob Dylan's influence all over, if not for you. Oh, that's a Bob Dylan song. Yeah. So, but yeah. I mean, but even just in the production, everything like that, it's just so very Dylan. Yes. It just was George Harrison singing it, but everything else was just so Bob Dylan yeah. on that. Yeah. It's uh it's a pretty blatant cover of, you know, 
Yeah, it's like, well, okay, yeah, well, let's do a Bob Dylan song. How should we make it sound? Let's make it sound like Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm actually pretty glad that it's a double album because I'm, I'm like, I'm not ready for it to end right now. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, moving on uh, to the next side of the album. Hang on. Uh, starts off with the song Beware of Darkness. And if you're listening along, it ends with the title track, All Things Must Pass. So here we go with that. Okay, and finishing up side three with the title track, All Things Must Pass. I always loved that song. Yeah, it's a good one. Good message. Good message that uh, good everything, good and bad, will pass away, will end. Everything ends. Life is cyclical. Nothing is permanent. Everything is temporary. That's a very... uh, very Buddhist, uh, I guess. I guess that's sort of he. He was really into it's Hinduism. Yeah, and that's the track itself. Is I was noticing the drums, and it's very obvious that uh, Ringo is playing drums on that one. You can always tell when it's Ringo, which I actually think is actually really cool about the Beatles is as much like t- towards the end of the sixties and into the seventies. I mean, they had all pretty much made up by the mid seventies, but Ringo was really the only one who had stayed friends with all of them, you know, during that whole time, which is, it's just everybody, everybody loves Ringo. You know, <laughs> you know, if you watch that, that Beatles documentary, the get back, you know, he was always ready to go. He was always, you know, they would be like working on a song and jamming and he was all just always behind his kit, you know, just ready to go at any time whenever they needed to, to start recording and laying out a track. And he's, he, yeah, he was a consummate professional the whole way. Um, I was just reading the, the song Apple Scruffs. That is actually about, apparently, there were these group of fans that would hang out, like, in the later 60s, they would hang out outside of the Apple building, mm-hmm. and there were, like, these diehard, dedicated fans, and George Harrison called them the Apple Scruffs. So, that song is sort of a, a tribute to them, sort of, you know, saying, hey, thanks for you know, supporting us and being there. Cause I guess what it had, like the Beatle mania had sort of died down and they were like the real true, you know, Beatle fans that had stuck around with them for a while. But so that was sort of a tribute to them. And the other song that really surprised me that I really liked on here was a waiting on you all, which, uh, I had heard before. I think I'd heard the, the live at Bangladesh, like the concert for Bangladesh version. Uh, but I never, I don't think I'd ever heard the studio version. And I always like that song too. Beware of darkness. I mean, there's, there's not a, so far, there's not a bad song on here. I mean, beware of darkness, but, and there's such a, 
a variety of of genres that he's going through like there's some country stuff that he was doing a little earlier on the album and yeah like the does does it say who was playing the pedal steel or lap steel as it may be uh pete drake okay it was a nashville based record producer and pedals yeah he's a session guy nashville guy yeah uh yeah so yeah dabbling in lots of different genres here which is you know like we were talking about last week with the simon and garfunkel it nothing seems out of place but it's kind of like just it kind of runs the gamut of of styles and it's eclectic but it all belongs exactly and uh, you know I can see why this is regarded on a lot of lists as the best of the Beatles solo albums, like including all of John Lennon's stuff, all of Wings and Paul McCartney's stuff. This always comes out on top. And I, I can now, before it's like, Oh really? Like George Harrison, like I like George Harrison, but the best really. And it's like, okay, now I get it. Now, actually having sit down and listen to the album, you know, from start to finish, it's like, now I get it. This is... And we're not even finished. We're not even finished yet, but it's like, now I get why this is regarded as the the best Beatles solo album. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, anyway, we are now on the, the home stretch of this massive album. Uh, side four begins with I Dig Love and ends with uh, Hear Me Lord. So here we go. Okay, ending the album with Hear Me Lord. Uh, wow, what an album. I mean, I know I keep saying that, but wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. It's yeah. Um the only the only song that I felt was a little bit weaker was I Dig Love. It was the only song that I thought and it's still not a bad song. It's just a it's the only weaker weaker spot. Yeah. Um other than that, it's there's not a bad song on this album. I no. I even like the fact that he included two different versions of Isn't It a Pity, uh, which was kind of, it's kind of like he, he really wants to, to get that message across of, you know, it's, it's a shame that when relationships fall apart, he apparently, I was just reading that song, he had actually written that song during the Revolver sessions. So, because a lot of people had assumed that it was about the Beatles breaking up. But he'd actually written it like five years earlier, but it just, or four years or whatever it was. And it was, but it was almost like appropriate that it needed time to sort of come out. I think he'd wanted to record it for the White Album, but they rejected it. But uh, finally, it's like, it's sort of like cathartic to finally get that song out and say, you know, it's, it's too bad that this thing ended, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he had his reasons for writing it, but it almost like took on another meaning towards the end of the, at the end of the Beatles sort of thing. And uh, George's marriage hasn't fallen apart yet at this point either, but it would fall apart in the next few years. 
And so I'm sure he was thinking about that then too. So the other song there was the art of dying, which has Eric Clapton all over that. uh, Oh yeah. Playing guitar. Yeah. This, this album, it has everything and it's amazing and it's heartbreaking and it's, 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 it's just everything. And, and George is like everybody, we all love, you know, Paul and John for their different writing styles. I always felt like Paul was more of a a pop craftsman, whereas John wrote more intuitively. And then you have George, who's just kind of, he's like a year or two younger than both of them. And he's just kind of finding his way. And it's like, what kind of writer am I going to be? And I feel like towards the end of the Beatles, he really started to write some really great songs, like, like, amazing songs he had been writing some good good ones before like tax man and and if i needed someone but i think by the time he got to the white album and writing like while my guitar gently weeps and then coming out with here comes the sun and something it's like okay oh shit this guy's this guy's amazing what's going on here (laughs) like it's just kind of quietly in the back is yeah, yeah, you guys write your songs. I'll go write the greatest song ever, <laughs> you know, or some stuff like that, you know. It's sort of a shame that they didn't adopt more of his songs, but I guess it was partly that uh, there was just so much output coming from the two of them um, that uh, George just didn't have room to get his stuff in. It's not that his stuff wasn't good, but this album came out, and so we basically got to hear it all anyway. No, it's not like, the stuff never got to be heard. It's it's here. So Yeah, it would it would have been interesting though to hear what the Beatles would have done with these songs. But at the same time, I think maybe, you know, maybe it's better. Maybe maybe it's like the Beatles were as as great as the Beatles were, I think you know, having watched like the the Get Back documentary and the anthology documentary and all these all these documentaries about them, it, it it's almost like they kind of had to break up, like it it just had to end. It would the Beatlemania thing was crazy, and they stopped touring, and that was and then Brian Epstein died, and they put out some great stuff after they stopped touring, like Sgt. Pepper and the White Album, but. It was just, it wasn't really a band anymore. And it just, it's like, you know, and, and then once it stopped being a band, it's like, well, these guys, they, they're, they're creative. They got this creative itch that needs to be scratched. And maybe George needs to go off on his own and, you know, flourish there. So maybe it's better that these songs waited until he could actually record them all the way he wanted to record them and not have the input of the other guys and have the songs come out the way he wanted them to come out and not have George Martin or Paul, probably Paul controlling things. (laughs) Let's be honest. Um, And so, yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's better that these songs, you know, waited until he could have, he could put, his exact artistic stamp on them. That's a good way to look at it. Um, anyway, as it is, that's that's how it happened. So 
yeah, I mean, this is over 50 years ago, the seven, we can't change it. It's the no, past, exactly. But, you know, it, it's, it's fun to think about the, the what ifs anyway. Yeah. You know, for the, the sake of the podcast, let's ask the question, <laughs> would you listen to this again? Oh yeah, it's absolutely. In fact, I'm already thinking that I want to listen to it and put it in my uh, roster of stuff. I, I don't know why it isn't there already, but uh, yeah, I'm definitely putting it in there. Yeah, same same here. I'm I'm definitely adding this to my collection, and it's uh yeah. This is going to be an album. I don't know why I never l- listened to. Th- I think maybe the the length of the album intimidated me, but I think. Yeah, I'm glad that we listened to this and I'm glad that I discovered more of George's songs. And I'm I want to get more into his solo stuff. Yeah. Uh, he put out a lot of stuff. I know uh even all the way up to uh well Cloud 9 was a good album and that was like right before the Wilburys stuff. And, and even even the album that came after he died, uh Brainwashed, there's some pretty cool stuff on there as well. Not that familiar with it. So anyway, yeah, I guess we'll end the show there. Thank you so much for listening if you made it this far. Uh, You can check us out at polyphonicpress.com. You can drop us a line, go to the contact page, and do all sorts of cool stuff there. You can help us out on Patreon if you feel inclined. There's uh, lots of cool perks, like you can pick an album for us to review, and you can get these shows uh, a week before they come out and get a shout-out at the end of these episodes. And I think that's pretty much it. Um, I'm Jeremy Boyd. And I'm John Van Dyke. Take it easy. Mm-hmm.